five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Yes, that's me in the dark. I know it's a little odd, but um, the light here is not great. And I did, I did the show in another part of the universe earlier today, but there's no power in that room, <laughs> so I had to reposition myself and uh, put myself. I guess I could turn the light on here. Let me see if that will add some warmth and some ambiance. Oh, look at that! How about that? It's a little better. At least you get to see me. I don't get to see you, but I know who a lot of you are. So I'll just imagine all of you in my head together simultaneously. Uh, welcome to 15 Minutes of Flame. That was Ultravox with Hiroshima Monomore. I believe that was named after the film by Alain Rene. I think I'm saying that correctly. A French surrealist masterpiece, a kind of a, a uh, marker in what they call French New Wave cinema. I've seen it. I was getting confused with um, last year of Marion Bod. Let's just for the sake of clarity, so I don't fuck up. Let's just see what, because uh, I think uh, the other film, about Marion Bot might be uh, might be the raw name movie Hiroshima Monomore, 1959 movie. All right, who who's the director? Um, the director is Alain Rene. I was right. I think he also did um, last year Marion Bot too. So the the. Synopsis for Hiroshima Monomore is a 24-hour love affair, 1959 romantic drama directed by French director Alain Jardin and written by French author Marie Doras. I say her last name. Alain's first uh, feature-length work, it was a co-production between France and Japan and documents a series of intensely personal conversations in one long conversation over a slightly more than a 24-hour period between an unnamed French actress and a Japanese architect. The film is notable for Renee's innovative use of brief flashbacks to suggest flashes of memory, which create a non-linear storyline, along with such films as films such as Breathless and the Form of Glows, Hiroshima or Hiroshima, Monomore brought international attention to the new movement in French cinema 
widely considered to be one of the most influential films of the French New Wave. In particular, it was a major catalyst for left bank cinema. So Ultravox being the RT band that they were, were singing about that particular movie. And uh, Ultravox were a really interesting band. I, I think that they're one of those bands that sets the stage for what happens with electronic art rock in England. So they're, they're, so you have basically a Roxy music. And then Ultravox comes along and then kind of out Roxy music's Roxy music, except they don't have all the, the goofy outfits that Roxy music wore. Uh, and they employed electric violin and synthesizers, much like Roxy music, but they were younger and I would say more innovative than Roxy music was. I think they had what three albums. Um, Tiger Lily is one. Oh, that was the name of the band. Well, okay. So there's systems of romance, which was produced by Connie Plank, which was a, a great album, really great album. Um, and then you had, uh, was it uh, Ha 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 Ha, which was the album prior to that. And then, so the debut album is called Ultravox with an exclamation mark. Uh, it says here they were heavily influenced by Roxy Music, New York Dolls, David Bowie, and Kraftwerk. Produced by Steve Lily White and Brian Eno. So there's your Roxy Music connection. And their debut track was I Want to Be a Machine. And then they went punkier in 1977 with Ha Ha Ha. And the Systems of Romance record, I think, is the best record. And it says right here, the energy, anger, and popular appeal of punk was fading in 1978. And the more creative UK punk genre talent saw new directions calling themselves British New Wave instead of punk rock. Artists, punk rocker, Hiroshima Monomore remains a critic's and fans' favorite for the group's initial period. Ultravox also performed it on the Old Grey Whistle Test, which is what you just saw. Then John Fox leaves the band, and he is replaced by Midjure. And of course, they have huge hits after that. Huge hits. Vienna, Reap the Wild Wind. So they go from being like a critic starling and kind of a cult band to a band that has wild mainstream success, played all over MTV. And Midjur was with the band for eight years, and you know a lot of that stuff. I kind of like the original Ultravox better with, uh, with John Fox as the singer, who went on to create another album called Metamatic after he left Ultravox, which is kind of, kind of punkier and kind of more industrial and electronic. He kind of did his own version of what uh, Bill Nelson did after he left Bebop to Lex. It was in the air. It was transhuman, way before transhuman was a thing. You get that with, with Kraftwerk and Robot, right? It's all the music that is talking about the future and what's happening in the future. Way, way ahead before it's time to happen. So those guys had their uh, compasses 
attuned to the metaphysical true north before a lot of other people did. And of course, Gary Newman. I'm going to play some Gary Newman tomorrow. It's Pisces season. Gary Newman's a Pisces. So we'll play a little bit of Gary Newman tomorrow. Probably a song that, that uh, you're probably less familiar with than the hits. Although Gary Newman was pretty amazing. Down in the park on Saturday Night Live. Wow. Had that really alien. It was like you, you were being serenaded by a fucking alien. That's what Gary Newman was like. I'm like, man, this dude is. He's out there. Speaking of out there, I am out there. I'm not in my normal location. Some of you probably already know that uh, my mother has been hospitalized uh, for about the last, off and on, three weeks. So this is this is not something new. It's been ongoing. And um, I've been in my part of the world dealing with that um, while she was going through her her thing, right? And then she got out of the hospital and came back home and um, didn't do real well. So she had to go back in, and that's when I knew I, I needed to come out here. So I've been here since Friday, and uh, it's been an interesting journey, to say the least. To say the least, I'm very. I'm gonna, and I'll fill you in. I always love interacting with 3D because 3D will give you some very good content you know, in, in real time, in real time, IRT, in real time, or IRL in real life, whatever real life is. So welcome to the show. Um, I am your host, Robert Phoenix. Since we're in the phase. Let's talk a little true hemp science. You know, that is the sponsor of the show. And uh, the, uh, the TH, uh, THS gummies have really been a game changer in my sleep here. I uh, up the, uh, the amplitude just a little bit. Yes, I am. I am. Yes, here we go. Uh, I am over 21 last time I checked. Yeah, the, the, uh, the gummies have really been a lifesaver out here just in terms of being able to sleep so that's been really good um then you know i did have i did have one of the moon dust gummies yesterday and having a moon dust gummy and dealing with the hospital staff it should be i'll, I'll channel the french again they were good Right, like you should, like if you're going to go to the hospital, I would say move this gummy, and I'll get into more of that later. Uh, but there's all kinds of products here. You have oils and edibles, water solubles, and uh, if you go to triumscience.com and get $100 for product or more, just type in 15MINS, 15MINS, and you will get a hundred. You, you will get free product. You don't get a hundred dollars for product, but you get free product on top of your order. And $150 or more gets you free shipping. And remember, every time you purchase from True Hemp Science, your, your money, part of your money is going back into this business so Chris can build this business and continue to bring you, me, us, high-quality products. So when you invest 
in his products, you're investing in your health, and you're investing in his business as well. It's almost like you're a partner in some ways. And since I am a partner as well, you're also investing in me. Everybody wins all the way around. Tribscience.com, throw in that 15MINS, get that discount. All right, let's check out who's in chat, and um, I'll give you an update. So what's going on here, and also kind of what's going on in the world. People going off script. I don't have my normal mic today, so the mic quality may not be as good. I could plug it in, I suppose, and just hold it up and talk. I can talk like humongous. Remember him? From Road Warrior. All you have to do is give up the juice and simply walk away. You have my word. Damn, I figured if I could believe that guy. All right, let me go to a little chat. Hiroshima Monument. Where are you? Where are you? Where the hell are you? God damn it, you were just here. There we go. DJMC, what's going on, Brother Mike? Looking forward to our burger tonight. Thomas Jordan. Hello, Thomas. Good to see you. At least your initials. Double B, Beth Berry. What's going on, Beth? There she is, the fantastic one, CC Jones. Thad, hi, Thad. My truck is in the shop today, so I can join live. Cool. Glad you can be here. Sony, the classy one. Miss Nakia. Hello, Miss Nakia. Who else do we have? Father Time. Yes. Is that uh, from Corning, California? Oh. Let's see what else we have. Yeah, they brought that. They brought some of that toxic waste down to Houston. And you're going to get it in in landfill. Spreading the love. They just want to spread the love. Those people are so kind. Unconditional. Hucklebuck 411's here. What's up, Huck? Crossfire Cat. It is Taco Tuesday. I had the best, the absolute best fucking mole enchiladas last night. Oh my God. There's mole and then there's holy mole. Last night was holy mole. It was so good. Scrubbies, what's going on, Tamara? Karimo. Karimo, Christine, what's going on? Christine, good to see you. Uh, let's see. SAG after President uh, Fran Drescher took time in her SAG Award speech to call for an end to Hollywood's bullshit COVID. Amen. Go, Franny the nanny. Let's see what else we have. Hurricane. Terrible echo. No echo here. Some people are getting the echo thing. I don't know why. 
Um, there shouldn't be an echo, but some people are having that. Oh, third eye activated here. Hey, okay, hey, third eye. She also supports the green agenda. You can't get everything right. Oh, Crosshair Cap brings up uh, interesting accounting in Pennsylvania now requiring proof of life from Fetterman. So the rumor is he's brain dead. He's brain dead, and his lovely Brazilian chica is apparently in Canada now. What's that about? She's in Canada. That whole thing is so fucking weird, isn't it? The whole Fetterman thing, I call him Frank and Fetterman, raised from the dead. Maybe he'll, maybe he'll come around on Easter. It'll be the resurrection of Jesus Fetterman. Let's see what else we have here. The earth is control, alt, delete. One AI, Street Life by Roxy Music is a masterpiece. I was a big Roxy Music fan. I've never, I never saw Roxy Music though. I always wanted to see Roxy Music when, when they were happening. Like, you know, the Avalon, Flesh and Blood version of Rock's music. It's okay. Some very nice songs. Feels, feels kind of like their version of when Foreigner starts doing I Want to Know What Love Is. Or, or Girl Like You, right? So Foreigner starts to break out the farty synths. And Rock's music kind of goes there, but they're better than Foreigner. I wish I could have seen, I would have liked to have seen him even without Eno. Like, I think with uh, Eddie Jobson, I think it's Eddie Jobson. Is that right? I always get Eddie Jobson and Simon House confused. I think it was, oh, no, 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 it wasn't Eddie Jobson. It was, was it Mraz? Patrick Mraz? Anyway, I, I would have been okay with that phase. I really like Roxy music. Um, country Life. You think of Country Life or Street Life? Country Life is a masterpiece. Out of the Blue. Oh, man. Let's listen to that song over and over again. Over and over again. Rocky's here. Good morning, Rocky. Lisa W. checking in. Had a good talk with Queen Lisa the other night. And getting, uh, oh, look at this. Harriet, Harriet Bowie. Saw Rocky several times in my youth. Look at that. Harriet, you are a hipster. The new moon dust gummies. Um, dude. I was, I was floating on the moon dust cloud at Kaiser Permanente yesterday. Boy, did I need it. There's a man, Steve Thor at the door, checking in. Oh, Fran, I've got stories. You're going to hear them. Uh, you know, Rocky, it's challenging. Um, but, 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 she has a lot of support I'm going to get into. Uh, let's see. Mm -mm 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 -mm. Who else do we have? SJS, hope you had a good laugh. From that cat crack nap video, nip video. Oh, that cat was addicted. Thanks. Oh, by the way, it's uh, it's Amy's birthday today. Happy birthday, Amy! I'm gonna play you a birthday song. 
just for you before the show is over. Let's see. Randy is as scripted as Woody. Woody Harrelson has always been interesting. Woody Harrelson is about as close to off the res as you can get in the mainstream. I've talked about him many times before. And his father, of course, Charles Harrelson, was one of the uh, one of the tramps that was picked up after the Kennedy assassination, actually wound up killing a judge in Texas, and then was moved to a supermax facility in Colorado. The, I think it's, what is it, Granite Bay? <laughs> what a name, huh? Pretty sure it's Granite Bay in Colorado. And uh, supermax prisons are heavy duty. Like, you get into supermax, there's probably not, not much of a chance you're getting out. I think... Um, Ted Kaczynski was there at the same Supermax. And Manuel Noriega was there at the same Supermax. Um, I think El Chapo, was El Chapo there too? Anyway, you get in there, you're not getting there. I think Tim, Mc, Tim McVeigh, this is according to Ted Kaczynski, that Tim McVeigh and Ted Kaczynski got to know each other at the Supermax. Now, there are some people who believe that Tim McVeigh did not die. But that's a whole other story. Uh, let's see. Mark M. What's going on, Mark M.? Good to see you. But Woody Harrelson, he's about as, as um, close to being not scripted. He's, he's been into the hemp thing for a long time. You know, he's he's kind of a Green New Dealer, but he's not. And I'm going to play his, um, I'm going to play his monologue from Saturday Night Live. Neo the Wise is here. Thank you for that. Cheeky, you're getting a song. Nicholas Grimm, what's going on, Nicholas? Good to see you. Drive safe out there. Lori Camacho. Hey, Lori. A Kaiser, Kaiser is weird. Harrelson uh, is scary. Natural, is actual, not a, on a, I'd agree with that. He's a natural-born killer. That's why Stone chose him for the role. Okay. Looks like we got a good house today. Uh, let's see. Did you get everybody? Did I, did I greet everyone? I think so. I think so. All right. So I'll give you an update. So what's happening. So I pulled in on a Friday night, fairly late, and I managed to um, go to the hospital and get the keys. Um, to this place and uh, car. That's an important part. So the Uber, I always enjoy talking to the Lyft drivers. Because I use Lyft instead of Uber. I don't know why. It's just there's something about Uber that bugs me. And I know they're probably all the fucking same anyway, but I use Lyft. And, they're, and they've got the app. They can go back and forth from Lyft to Uber. It Lyft, they don't really care. 
right? So for them, it's they're not they're not brand loyal wherever the ride's coming from. So the ride out, I get picked up by this woman who is involved in uh, staffing and finding people. Right? So she's one of those people finding people for jobs, positions in the tech world, some biz dev. So we had a very interesting conversation. And I started to take her into Build Back Better world. I started to take her into tech world. I started to take her into AI because that's the that's the group that she is you know, doing executive searches and all that shit on. Right? This is her side hustle. And we had an interesting conversation. And I told her about my website. She goes, oh, I want to share your website. And, oh, your, your YouTube channel. So I did that. So I go in, I, I get the keys from her, and she's like, yeah, you know, kind of okay, but mm, not. So that night she's in, I think, uh, ICU. And then they moved her downstairs uh, to, or upstairs, ICU's on the second floor, so upstairs to the heart ward. And then I, I um, go in the next day. And so she's there and Hmm. You know, throughout the day on Saturday, she it was like, I'm not sure she's gonna make it. Right? She so her ticker is is um wearing out. So she can't pump you know the volume of blood that the rest of her, her body needs. And um, so you know, she's kind of going offline, right? And there were a couple moments on Saturday, I'm like, shit, you know, that's the thousand yard stare. That I'm looking at right there. So that was Saturday was kind of challenging, I have to say. Um, but I, I actually met with some friends of hers who attend this church. I'm gonna talk about the church in a minute. And so I met with them and talked with them, had really super nice people, really, really nice people. And um, you know, so they said that they would help out, and I really and they've done it before, so I really appreciate that. Just really super nice people. So anyway, I come home and, you know, do my thing on Saturday night. And so I decided that I'm, you know, going to go to church, her church on Sunday. And for her, I don't, I'm not in the church. And I realized why I'm not in the church when I went there. But I've been there before with her. It's a nice, you know, middle class, slightly upper middle class church. Um, and the demographics of the church reflect that. So... Um, I go there on Sunday, and my my goal was to meet people outside the church and do little like fifteen second snippets where they're giving greetings to my mother, right? And she's very involved in the church. She does uh, the altar guild, so anytime there's a memorial or any any a major event at the church, she sets up the altar with flowers and all that stuff. And then she's also like in charge of the greeters and people greet you and come in and peace be with you, peace be with you, all that stuff, right? So I go in and um, sit down and I talk to the, I texted the the, the minister or pastor or whatever uh, ahead. I said, gave him some updates on my mother and said, you know, I'd really like to do this thing uh, after the service and maybe you could tell people about it. So he asked me to come up there during the service and, and uh, I kind of got really choked up because, you know, my experience with my mother uh, that night and that day 
particularly that day, was Saturday, day and Saturday was not great. It's like, ooh. So it's kind of choked up, you know. And I and I told people to come out afterwards. And I sat back down and I listened to the rest of the sermon. And I kind of know why this country is really fucked up. And there are many reasons. But this is a big one. This is a big reason. So I'm sitting there, and you know, it's kind of a typical churchy thing. And then they have these screens because they're they're showing what they're talking about. It's not a huge church, but they've got these visuals so people can see the visuals, right? And one of the things that they talked about is that they have, let's see if I can even find it. Let's see this. Let me see. Um, so they have this program at the church that deals with gender fluidity. It's like it's like a kind of an outreach, um, Bible-based guide to understanding gender fluidity. I'm like, what the fuck? Now, this is in the church. And then they have a separate group that meets to discuss things like social justice warriors. I'm like, what is going on here? This is the Episcopal Church, by the way. So they're going out of their way to accommodate the reset. They are socially engineering the reset. This gets right into Paolo Freire. Like if you have followed the work of Paolo Freire and some of the stuff that Steve and Chris and I have talked about with Paolo Freire and how Freire's work was embraced by the Council of Churches, this is right. This is Freire 101. Coming down from the, the, the heights of the church intelligentsia. You know, this this is this is a, a this is downstream from the top of the hierarchy, coming down into the church. And I'm thinking this is one of thousands of churches like this across the United States that are preaching the gospel of inclusion. And I'm like, this is why we're fucked. One of the reasons, not the entire reason, this is why we're fucked. And it's almost the reverse trauma technique. So if you want to program people, there's a couple of ways. There's more than one way you can program. Trauma is a big one. It's a big program. We, we've seen it a lot. And you guys know what I'm talking about. JFK, 9-11, Vietnam, more trauma, 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 trauma. I mean, COVID, trauma, 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 trauma. Right? There's another way to program people, and that's 180 degrees away from trauma. And that's when you bring them into a sense of community and a sense of, well, in this case, worship and praise. So you get them, you get them in that state where they're in that place with all these other people who are there to commune with the spirit of God, one another, right? However, whatever their, you know, their collective experiences, it's about Pisces. So I've had some very Piscean experiences since I've been here. So I'm in the church and I'm listening to this 
And up until that point in time, you know, my heart is kind of open. I'm like, man, these are really nice people. They really love my mother. You know, I'm still not into church, but I'm like, you know, I can kind of get it, understand. It. And then this thing comes. And I'm like, for the rest of the service, I'm like, like, what the fuck? And nobody ever, nobody ever calls him on. I'm, yeah, I mean, not that I know of. If I if I went to that church, and I was really invested in that church, I, I would say, "Why are you doing this? I know, why are you doing this? Where's this coming from? Is this your program?" And I'm talking about minister. Is this your program, or is this coming down from uh, Episcopalian HQ? I'd like to know. And you tell me where in. There's doctrine for this. Well, it's all about Jesus and loving, accepting one. Oh, is it really? Mm -hmm. Right. So we're supposed to love and accept people who are out there promoting um, a rather different kind of experience, which if you follow the rabbit hole, leads them into having their genitalia removed. This is really what you're promoting here? Wow, it's all in the spirit of love and you know, compassion. It's like, well, it's a short-sighted spirit. I mean, that's where I would go. And I know that I probably wouldn't have a whole lot of success changing the minister's mind about you know, diversity, inclusion, and equity. So what would I wind up doing? I'd probably leave the church, you know, unless you're going to take them on. And in that case, you, you just want to get them replaced. You know, and I'm sure there are people who, if they had enough clout, they would replace them. Like, you're out of here. You know, we want somebody that is less political and just more in alignment with the political scripture. <laughs> it was really an eye-opener. So it was like, wasn't like I'm thinking, oh, yeah, I need to make church part of my life. That's, that wasn't it at all. But I was certainly in a place where I was much more accepting because of the kindness that uh, they were showing my mother, right? And she invested in it. So after that happened, though, it was sort of like, yeah, back to reality. It was soul to soul, back to life, back to reality. So that's what happened, back to reality. And then I left and eventually my, but I, I'm telling you that that left a mark on me, that, that, that insight into that world where they are socially engineering people. And they're, they're just in that space where they're loving and unconditional. They're not in trauma. No, they're, they're, they're dissolving the separation between themselves and others. And then, then what happens? then the program is, in, is inserted. It's insidious. It's really insidious. It's the opposite of trauma-based programming. It goes down easier. I'm glad I won't have to go to that church again this Sunday. And even if I was still here, I probably wouldn't go because that was eye-opening, to say the least. Now the hospital. Oh, God. Saturday was the day. Friday night, I went in there, no mask. Easy. In the room, easy. 
My mother has a mask on. So on Saturday, I'm actually leaving. And um, they're like chasing me down to put a fucking mask on. And the doctor on that on that ward. Sir, he sir, I'd like to know why you're not wearing the mask. And I said, you don't need to know. <laughs> Sorry. It was, it was like, you don't need to know why I'm not wearing a mask. And then they're so fucking officious. They're just so officious. They're, they're like Karens, real Karens. And um, even last night, I got into also on Saturday with one of her nurses. And, and I looked at him and said, hey, look, I was here yesterday with the doctor, okay? He didn't tell me to wear a mask. So, you know, file that away. And he shut up. And even yesterday, I'm in there, I'm talking to her. This woman comes in and hands me the mask. I don't think, you know, I'm going to be cool. It's my mother, right? But you know, before it's all said and done, I might have to drop some napalm on the situation. I just might. There's this woman at the front. You know, we're supposed to sign in. I don't even sign in. I just go straight beeline to the, to the elevator. And um, I'm on her list, I can tell. She sees me coming. She sees me coming. And she gets up out of it. Sir, you've got to wear a mask. And I just wave at her. And I get in the uh, elevator. She jumps out. She's looking at me. I back at her. So fucked up. It is just totally. Like, like the stupid part of my language. It's F-bomb day. Like the stupid fucking mask is going to contain this theoretical thing that they've mostly made up. Even if it was real, those masks don't do shit. You've got to wear an N95 mask. Theoretically, the same mask that a surgeon wears. You can only wear it for a brief period of time. That's it. It's fucking ridiculous. And yet, they're there pushing the agenda. Pushing the agenda, got to wear the mask. What happens on 311? Not that far away. Biden is supposed to withdraw all the uh, executive orders that Trump put out there. You know why they're doing that? Because the who's going to take over. And I'm not talking, you know, the late John Entwistle, the late Keith Moon. Roger Daltrey and Pete Townsend. No, not that who. So that's that's another big deal, right? Like the Biden administration wants to sign our personal medical sovereignty over to the who, the World Health Organization. And I've talked about them before. They're not just involved in uh, mandating critical response during a time of a, of a biological medical crisis. No. The who is going to mandate what you put in your body. It's not just, you know, when another pandemic breaks out. No, they're going to mandate what you can eat, how much you can eat, how much protein, how much animal products, 
and I, and I, and I've told the story where, um, Dr. J's sister works for a major, major producer of high-end alcohol. And the who has met with her to discuss lowering alcohol content in uh, liquor across the planet. That's where this is all going. They want to be involved in every single aspect of your health-related life. And by the way, once you get into health, the definition of health becomes very broad. It can be mental health, it can be physical health, it can be emotional health. And all those things are all linked and contribute to one organization's direction, guidance, and mandates. That's how far they want to, they want to use the World Health Organization as the soft cudgel to move people into a one world governance, right? And if you think about it, it makes total sense on their part because the, the body is the gate. It is the biological gate to um, assert order. What you can put in it, what you have to put in it, what you can't put in it. See, the, the, the body is the, is the ultimate country. You know, when we talk about sovereignty, you know, we don't really talk about the United States as being sovereign. We talk about the individual being sovereign. So this is, this is kind of a big deal. And Biden's very close with a stroke of a pen, just signing that all away. When that happens. What is this going to happen in the hospitals? They're going to follow who procedure, whatever that is. There'll be no debate about it. There's no AMA, whatever that fraudulent organization is anyway. No CDC, although they'll have some input, I'm sure. It will all be about the World Health Organization. And their one-size-fits-all uh, kind of rubric, even though it'll be one-size-fits-all, I guarantee you how they'll deal with people in Africa will be very different than how they deal with people in the United States. And in many cases, uh, particularly with Africa, which we saw during the, pan the quote unquote, pandemic, they were very hands-off. They didn't do shit with Africa. Hands-off, and they didn't really go for the vaccines. They know, the people in Africa know. They've been inoculated six ways to Sunday. And they know what that's about. In many cases, it hasn't led to anything really good. Bill Gates spent time in Africa. That's all you need to know. He wanted to make sure the children didn't get polio. Bill, Bill Gates should be canonized. St. Bill. Anyway, so I've been dealing with that with the hospital, playing cat and mouse with the, the whole mask brigade thing. So on Saturday, oh, they're trying to be so professional at the hospital. On Saturday, I'm walking in my mother's room, and I come the back way, and there's this woman. I'll just use the catchphrase, baby mama. She's a baby mama. And she's on the phone with her baby daddy, and they are fucking having it out on the phone. Like, Whoa. Really? You're going there, here? 
I didn't say anything. Well, I said something a little bit later. I mentioned to uh, her, her nurse. I said, yeah. So some interesting baby mama drama going on here. I'm sorry, but that's just not cool. You don't air your dirty laundry within earshot of patients. I mean, she was down the hall, but I could hear it. I walked right past it. So then I asked my mother next day, how'd you sleep? So terrible. I said, well, why? So, well, you remember that woman you were telling me about? I said, yeah. Well, I think her husband came last night. So apparently he came to the fucking hospital and they had it out at the hospital. They had it out at the hospital. Right outside my mother's door. And then she brought it up the next day. Nobody would talk about it. Talk about being gaslit. I know my mother's not well, but man, she's, there's still parts of her that are pretty sharp. She doesn't miss much. And you want to tell me that I need a mask. Meanwhile, one of your workers has put everybody on this floor in jeopardy by bringing their business into the work. That guy could have brought a fucking gun, okay? There's no metal detectors in the hospital. He could have brought a gun. He could have just ended it right there, right? Anyway, journeys in Pisces. That's what it's been about, journeys in Pisces. The church and the hospital. And rain, lots of rain, lots of rain. So I'm in it, right? I'm really in the Pisces thing. And even from an astrological standpoint, you know, Saturn and Pisces is moving into my fourth house. House of the mother, right? People say, you know, astrology. Yeah, it's, it's fake. No, it's not fake. And I don't get on, on, the, uh, on my pulpit every day to, to, to market the validity of astrology. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a, a, a zealot like that. But, you know, when push comes to shove, there is a there there, for sure. So anyway, I think she's doing better. I brought her a cheeseburger yesterday. She ate, half, she ate most of it. Well, most of half. She pounded that shake. She liked that shake. So she's, I think, ready for something besides hospital. That's always a good it's a good sign you know, when the appetite is kind of getting up. So yeah, she's a fighter. My mother is definitely a fighter. She's a trip. And the uh, amount of um, love and devotion uh, that uh, people at the church, you know, were showing her, that's really something, you know, really, really something. And I played this one video. She's so funny. I played this one video. This woman who was, you know, really kind and said that uh, she missed her. And I've learned everything from you, blah, blah, blah. She said, that's my wife. <laughs> that's your rival? You know, your rival seems to be pretty kind to you. Right? It's really funny. So anyway, and by the way, thank you. Um, for all your support, I know that Tom has um, has kind of gotten the word out, and so I know a number of you have 
kept her in your prayers or, you know, have had good thoughts around her. So I thank you for that. Um, that means a lot because you never even, I mean, some of you have kind of met her. I've had her on here a few times. So some of you may know a little bit about her, but um, thanks for that. I appreciate that. Okay. Um, let's play the Woody Harrelson clip. It's about seven minutes long. I haven't seen it in, in its totality. It's six minutes and 57 seconds long. Let's play the Woody clip. Where they've really fancied up the uh, SNL stage. All right. So we're taking it from the top. It's the natural born killer. I think this is maybe the fifth time he's hosted SNL. Here we go. Harrelson! Because he's like a chain gang. Look at him. Water, boss. Water. Go ahead, boy. Go get some water. Thank you, boss. Hello, you beautiful people. And, and you ugly people, too. No, I jest. Uh, this country seems so divided, beautiful, ugly, black, white, blue, red. I love everybody. Maybe because I'm a redneck hippie. Uh, you know, the red in me thinks you should be allowed to own guns. The blue in me thinks squirt guns. <laughs> so I'm red and blue, which makes purple. Uh, I'm purple. So this is my fifth time doing SNL. Yeah. And you know what that means. No jacket, okay. Um, the last time I did SNL was around Thanksgiving 2019, three years ago, and you would not believe. By the way, I just have to say this. SNL's done a great job with diversity. Great job with diversity in the game. Way to go, SNL. What happened after the show? <laughs> the next day was a Sunday, as it always is the day after I do Saturday Night Live. <laughs> It's like a pattern, I noticed. Anyway, I went walking in the greatest part of this city, Central Park, leaned against a tree, and started to read the craziest script. Okay, full disclosure, I smoked a joint first. <laughs> the reason I like herb more than alcohol is because it makes me feel good, no hangover, and I never wake up covered in blood. <laughs> But regardless, I have decided to quit smoking pot altogether, and I'm sticking with it till after the show. Uh, yeah, last week in Austin, I was talking with my friend Nick 
and we have a lot in common. He wrote True Detective, and I was in True Detective. I'm vegan, and all the animals he eats are vegan. Uh, anyway, I was complaining about how I start smoking around noon and get progressively dumber as the day unfolds. Forget basic words, simple objects, E, T, etc. And I, I was hoping that the wifey poo might say, oh, no, that's not true. But instead, she says, at least you're aware of it. <laughs> and I say, well, that, that doesn't feel like much consolation. And she says, think of all the dumb people who don't know they're dumb. You're ahead of them. <laughs> oh, thanks, hon. Uh, but on top of the herb, I'm a wee bit of a, are we a bit of a drinker? I don't know why I went Irish there. Right, anyway, but, but in a personal triumph, last year, I had seven months with no alcohol. <laughs> and five glorious months. Anyway, what were we talking about? Oh, oh yeah, I was telling you about that script. So, uh, I blaze a fatty which, uh, you know, I, I got in L.A. At, at my dispensary, the woods. I mean, obviously, I didn't <laughs> transport the herb from California to New York, because that's highly illegal. <laughs> my manager, Jeremy, did. Yeah. He, he muled it from L.A. Uh, yeah, he, speaking of Jeremy, he's here tonight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he newly single, ladies. Very handsome. I know he would prefer <laughs> that I talk about our movie Champions. It's coming out in two weeks. <laughs> comedic masterpiece, but I'm not here to sell Champions. It's, it sells itself. Projections, projections have it making more than Avatar. But whatever, I'm no salesman, you know, I don't know. Uh, where was I? Yeah, okay, no, so three years ago, Central Park, Sunday morning, the Lord's Day, trying to resist the temptation to puff too early in the day. Of course, I succumbed. Like a lot of people, I have a devil on one shoulder, and on the other shoulder, I have a larger, more frightening devil. And there's a battle going on in here, you know? I, I'm, just, I'm just saying that I am many different things. Anarchist, Marxist, Marxist ethical hedonist, non-discriminatory empath, epistemological deconstructionist, Texan. <laughs> but back to the tree in Central Park in that script. Right, put yourselves in my place. Lay the curve of your neck against the roots of the tree. What, what kind of tree was it? I mean, what kind of trees they have in Central Park? Oh, yeah, it was a palm tree. <laughs> so, lay, lay your head on the palm, fire up a hooter from Jeremy, <laughs> and start reading. Okay, so the movie goes like this. The biggest drug cartels in the world get together and buy up all the media and all the politicians and force all the people in the world to stay locked in their homes, and people can only come out if they take the cartel's drugs and keep taking them over and over. I threw the script away. I mean, who is gonna believe that crazy idea? <laughs> Being forced to do drugs? 
I do that voluntarily all day long. Anyway, it's about that time. Come on. Still no Jack. Okay. Well, we got a great show for you tonight. Jack White is here, so stick around. We'll be right back. That was lame. I got to say, that was lame. And I heard all this brouhaha about Woody Harrelson and how he just, and, and apparently there's a lot of, you know, Sherman drama, as they say, about him doing this. I'm like, it's fucking lame. Big windup, big buildup. And then reading the script part, that's just lame. And he caught fire over that? That's nothing. Big nothing burger. In my humble opinion. Okay, so the other guy who's supposed to be off script is Scott Adams. And Scott Adams is done. He's done. They are all dropping Scott Adams. He's a Gemini, by the way, born in 1957. Let me see what we got here. I want to find the right video. Let me see if I can find a video of him saying this. Uh, let's see. I think this is it. I think this is the video right here. We're going to play it here live. Well, at least live from here. This is from The Hill. Do this without the propaganda from the Hill. Uh, Trump tops DeSantis by 15 points, Fox poll, okay. All right. All right. I don't want any of that. I apologize here, let me just find this thing. Let me go to YouTube. And let's, uh, Let's do that. Uh, Read coffee, real coffee with Scott Adams. So these are his long videos. Anti-vaxxers win, cognitive dissonance, predictions and forecasts, two weeks ago, one month ago. Let's see, shorts, is any shorts? Real popular. Um, let me do this. Give me one second. I apologize. I want to find this thing. Because there's a good chance that you won't find exactly what he said. 
there's a Twitter. So this is a pretty controversial shit. So I'm on Jesse Lee Peterson's Twitter feed. This is where this is coming from. Of course, Jesse Lee Peterson has his own issues. But um, let's dive into what Scott Adams has to say here. So if, if you know, nearly half of all blacks uh, are not okay with white people, according to this poll, not according to me, according to this poll, uh, that's a hate group. That's a hate group. And I don't want to have anything to do with them. And I would say, you know, based on the current way things are going, the best advice I would give to white people is to get the hell away from black people. Just get the fuck away. Wherever you have to go, just get away. Because there's no fixing this. This can't be fixed. Right? This can't be fixed. You just have to escape. So that's what I did. I went to a neighborhood where you know I have a very low black population. Because unfortunately, there, you know, there's a high correlation between the density. And this is according to Don Lemon, by the way. Um, so here I'm just quoting Don Lemon. When, when he notes that the, when he lived in a uh, mostly black neighborhood, there were a bunch of problems that he didn't see in white neighborhoods. So even Don Lemon sees a big difference in your own quality of living based on where you live and who's there. So I, I think it makes no sense whatsoever as a uh, white citizen of America to try to help black citizens anymore. It doesn't make sense. It's no longer a rational impulse. And so I'm, I'm going uh, to back off from being helpful to black America because it doesn't seem like it pays off. Like I've been doing it all my life, and I've been, the only outcome is I, be, I get called a racist. That's the only outcome. <laughs> it makes no sense to help black Americans if you're white. Uh, the, the, it's over. Don't don't even think it's worth trying. Totally not trying. And there we go. So there's a lot to unpack with that. First of all, he was referring to Don Lemon when Don Lemon had a uh, a piece on CNN. This is a few years ago, back when he had hair, and Don Lemon, not Scott Adams. And he, he had like five things that, that uh, black Americans should pay attention to. And one of the things was how when he moved to Harlem, he was appalled by the fact that people would just throw trash on the ground, even though there was a trash can within five to six feet of where they were dumping the trash. And he's like, don't, you know, don't shit in your own backyard or in that regard, right? And, you know, when you have a very honest conversation with somebody who's black and has done well, and they can move out of a black neighborhood, they will do it. I'm sorry. Not everybody, some won't, some will stay and try to, you know, turn the aircraft carrier around 
but they'll move. They'll move to a place where it's safer. Deion Sanders was the coach at Jackson State in Jackson, Mississippi. Did a great job. It's a traditional black college. It plays against other traditional black colleges. He had his team nationally ranked. It's been a long time since it was HBFCU or whatever they're called. College team nationally ranked. So then the University of Colorado came and knocking. And Dion took that job. He left. When he was the head coach, his office had been broken into twice. Twice. They had no, they had no drinking water. Jackson was going, was going through a Flint, Michigan phase with their drinking water. And at a certain point, they didn't have any water. They had to shut the water off. So his football team had to basically bathe in the swimming pool on campus. They had to truck water in. So Deion Sanders got a front row seat for this. And, you know, once the tidy whities of Boulder, Colorado came and knocking, Deion Sanders was a rocking. He was rocking right out of Jackson. So if you sit down and have a really honest conversation with somebody who's black, who has made it, you'll find that they leave. They don't stick around. Why? It's too dangerous. It is too dangerous. They're sitting fucking targets. Doesn't matter how much clout you have. There's always somebody on the street who will be happy to get a reputation for being the guy that took out so and so and snatched up, you know, his uh, his jewelry or whatever. Right? I mean, you can see it. There was a rapper in L.A. He he tweeted out that he was at a church fried chicken, not church. Um. What's we call it? Chicken and waffles in LA, famous one. And somebody saw that. I was, I think he Instagrammed it. Somebody went there and fucking robbed him and killed him. Oh, that motherfucker's out there. He's got some eyes. That's exactly what happened. And I know both those places, they're not in particularly bad neighborhoods. It's okay. Not like some other neighborhoods. Man. This is what happens, though. So what Scott Adams is is talking about is not something, even Jesse Lee Peterson is on that page, says the same thing. And, you know, this this is where you get the unvarnished commentary. Do I want everybody to do well on this planet? Of course I do. Of course I do. I want everybody to do well. And we all have challenges in our lives. And sometimes, you know, we can step up and meet those challenges. Other times, we fall short. Challenges aren't always skin tone dependent. In some cases, they can be. But not always. 
But when I look at, you know, the plethora of TikTok videos where a certain group is taking a lot of shots, a lot of shots, feeling very intentional, and all of it um, drastically enabled in the post-George Floyd universe we live in. This is what Scott Adams is seeing. This is what I'm seeing. And then when you regurgitate those scenes via TikTok, what happens? We, we, live, we live in a copycat culture and people get programmed. So you throw in critical race theory and you know the white fragility and, and, and racism is systemic. It's everywhere. And the only way you get rid of racism is by completely burning down the culture. And you reinforce every single day that if you're not looking white, you don't stand a chance in this world. And then you you show that there are people that are are essentially um, getting their licks in and walking free. What do you think all this does? What do you think it all does? It enables a group of people to, to, to basically, you know, run the purge. And this is what Scott Adams is talking about. It's what he's referring to. And he has said it in probably the most, pardon my, my pun here, most black and white language possible. And he'll find people that are black that will agree with him. That's the sad part, right? They'll agree with him. Maybe it's not sad. I don't know if it's sad or not, but they'll agree with him because they've been there. They've done that. Just ask Deion Sanders. He couldn't fucking wait to get out of Jackson, Mississippi. He couldn't wait to be Coach Prime in Boulder, Colorado. Couldn't wait. One of the best days of his life. I'll tell you the same thing. So when I, you know, when I see a lot of the Q stuff and trusting the plan and all these things going on. And then I look at these videos that are prominent, that they're everywhere, they're ubiquitous. And I look at them like, okay, well, how the fuck are you going to fix that? How are you going to fix that? There's no, there's really no, no um, blueprint for that. We're talking, this is generational. It takes one to two generations to fix problems. That's if the dominant paradigm will allow you to fix those problems. A lot of times the dominant paradigm will not allow you to fix it. No, you can't fix it for whatever reason. You'll tie your hands with paperwork or, you know. So it becomes very, very difficult to um, truly affect change. Now, there was a young guy on Jason Whitlock's show. Last week, he goes by King Randall. He's 23. He's black. He lives in a heavy-duty part of Georgia. And he's got his own boarding school. So his own boarding school. And this guy is fired up. I'd love to have him on his guest. He realizes that. He realizes that you have to get to these boys. And you have to change their life. And they have to become self-sufficient pillars of their society. And they have to have a relationship with the creator. If they don't then there's absolutely, first of all, zero um, 
consequences for what they do. Yeah, I mean, maybe here in this world, might be some, you might get a slap on the wrist, but they don't think, well, if I do this, this is going to, you know, fuck up my spirit, not just in the afterlife, but in this life too. Because if you fuck up here, you will fuck up your spirit. And if you fuck up your spirit, your walk in the world gets very hard, very, very difficult. And then the next thing you know, you're, you're, you're headed down a very dark path. So it's not just cultivating your place in the afterlife. It's cultivating your place in this, in this realm. So there's that. But then the other side of that equation is that there is the power, you know, of the creator, right? There is that. And so if you have that, if you're invested in that, or it's invested in you, there's <clears throat> not a lot you can't do. So this is what he's trying to instill in his young man. And this guy's not a namby-pamby guy. He's pretty hardcore and committed. But that's what, that's what it takes. I mean, it, it, you, would, you would need a 1,000, 10,000 King Rambles. In, they have to be in every city across America running his program because it seems to work. So that you could affect change and then downstream they could affect change. So that one generation, two generations down the line, what do we have? We have a group of, and look, they're not the only ones. They're not the only ones. I could go over to the quote unquote white side of the ledger sheet. You know, we don't get out of this thing scot-free. You know, we have our own accountability, our own culpability, and our own responsibility. And I'm just speaking from somebody in, in the meat seat. This is just my meat suit in this lifetime. But if I'm going to be here and take the position, it's like, yeah, you got to fucking raise your boys a little bit better too. You know, because they don't, they don't get a man pass. So in order to sustain this change, you need at least one or two generations. We all know that. But what Scott Adams has said is probably what a lot of people are thinking. And a bit of a backstory with Scott Adams. He had a son who died of a fentanyl overdose. And he's gone through two marriages, both of which ended in divorce. He may be thinking that he doesn't have long to live because he committed professional sin. He knew that. He knew that. Everything Dilbert got canceled. And somebody pointed out that um, he did it with the intention that nobody could make any money off of his name after he passed away. Like, who's going to carry that, right? Like, having Dilbert now would be the equivalent of um, having a, like a, you know, a little samba, little sambo kind of cartoon painting, right, that you're, you're, you're making copies of and selling it on Amazon. Nobody's going to buy it. It's culturally radioactive now. So he basically just threw the match, blew it all up. He's got plenty of money. Scott Adams has done really well. He's a multimillionaire many times over. He doesn't have to worry about money. And he's probably indemnified himself too in terms of his money. He's got, probably got a hidden stash, whatever. He's not, he's a Gemini. He's a smart guy. 
Although he got the COVID thing wrong for sure, but he's a smart guy. So he's done, right? That to me, way more intense than the Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson, that was tepid. That was really, really tepid. Tepid water. Scott Adams, Cole Bracing, splash in the face. I wonder if Jason Whitlock will talk about it. I wonder if we'll talk about Scott Adams. Anyway. Um, I think it's about it. Oh, we got to play a song for, for Scooby-Doo. Let me find a good birthday song. I'll be back here tomorrow, just in case you were wondering. Same bad time, same bad channel. Let's see. What, what do we have? The mariachi song was pretty good. I'd like the mariachi song. What else do we have? Something fun, something light. How about Gracie's Corner? That looks deliciously diverse. Let's see. What else we have? We got a birthday remix. All right. In the spirit of the show. Diversity. Scoobs, this one's for you. Alfalfa with his famous rendition of Happy Birthday, even though it says Tommy. All right, everybody, here comes the cake. Come on, boys. Start playing, darling. <laughs>
Birthday Scoobs. That's it. Have a great day. See you tomorrow. Bye.